Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. Tonight's message is depending upon God. Depending upon God. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 tonight and cover, Lord willing, the second half uh, next week. But let's begin with chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I, Nehemiah, took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Nehemiah first heard about the bad conditions of his fellow Jews and the city of Jerusalem in Israel in the month of Chislev, which in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, it's mentioned there. And Chislev is December. It's their winter. But God didn't answer Nehemiah's prayer until here in chapter 2, verse 1, in Nisan, which is April, their spring. So there are some important lessons that we can learn here from Nehemiah's prayer. First, from Chislev to Nisan, or December to April, this was four months. So there was a four-month wait or delay that would probably cause, you know, doubt in anybody's heart who was just chomping at the bit that wanted to go to Israel and help the situation there. Now, I would like to call it a wait rather than a delay, pretty much the same thing but many times God you know makes us wait for reasons beyond our understanding but they always turn out to be good as troubled as Nehemiah was about what was going on there in Jerusalem he wanted to get there as soon as he could so this waiting period would discourage and very likely cause doubt in his heart and in the hearts of his brother and his friends who told him about the situation in Jerusalem and they may, they may have started thinking, you know, we're probably wasting our time. What are we waiting for? And they're probably thinking, you know, we told Nehemiah about this problem four months ago, and he hasn't done anything about it yet. You know, and we're, we're, we're a lot of times, for the most part, people who react. And sometimes we think it's wrong to stop and to wait and to think. They'd be disappointed in him and think that, you know, his position maybe as cupbearer, which was an influential position, maybe his influence as a king wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. This long wait, this four month wait would crush their hopes. And as Solomon said in Proverbs thirteen twelve, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Or other, in other words, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. You know, it's good for a person to have hope. We must have hope. But if that thing that you're hoping for is taking a long time coming and you begin to lose hope, then your heart becomes sick. The word deferred means to put off or long drawn out. But when a hope is fulfilled, a person is refreshed. They're lifted up. And the gratification of hope gives encouragement like a tree that gives life. So praying for four months, but seeing nothing happen would make a lot of people doubtful. And it would make them discouraged and the discouragement would take over. But you see, faith, faith will know that waiting for answers to our prayers aren't necessarily denials by God. We read in Isaiah 30, 18, Therefore the Lord will wait 
that he may be gracious to you. Blessed are those who wait for the Lord. He might wait that he may be gracious to you. In other words, he may make us wait because he wants to give us something better than what we're asking for. But he's preparing us. Romans 4, 20 and 21, it says, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, God was also able to perform. Notice it said fully convinced. And we'll see that waiting is what makes the answer to our prayers more valuable to us. Now, the waiting wasn't a bad thing for Nehemiah. It was a good thing. And you see, waiting tests our faith. Any doubt would be nothing compared to the valuable things that would, be, that would come because we faithfully waited. And it was especially good in Nehemiah's case. Because you see, it gave Nehemiah time to make good plans for going to Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls so that when, he, when the king asked him, Nehemiah, what can I do for you? As it says in verse 4, then Nehemiah could tell him quickly and wisely what he needed. Now, as we all know, God does not answer prayer as fast as we like him to. God doesn't answer our prayers right away when we pray. And you know what? Many times we can be glad that he doesn't. Because here in Nehemiah's case, like I said, it gave him time to be properly prepared for the answer to the prayer. And when God makes you wait for the answers to your prayers, be patient. Use that time to prepare for the answer. If your prayer isn't answered right away, don't worry. And instead of fussing and fuming and complaining, get busy preparing to respond well to the chance when it does come. That not only shows wisdom, but it also shows faith. And you know what? You need both. You need wisdom and faith if you're going to do a good work for God. Notice in verse 1, it says, So he took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, in verse 6, it tells us that that queen happened to be was sitting beside him. So this opened the door for Nehemiah to ask the king to go to Jerusalem. And notice it came at a mealtime. Now, here we, te- here we see two examples of God's involvement, God's uh, providence, God's hand upon Nehemiah. In this sense, I'm sorry, in this scene, we have lessons for us to learn. First of all, notice that it took place at a simple, ordinary meal. And this is the only time that we hear about the queen being with the king. But notice, it's perfect timing. It always is when God's involved. Now, kings usually had many wives. They had harems. And they usually had a favorite. And his favorite would be singled out as the queen. And sometimes she would eat with the queen, with the king. The queen, though, being here with the king at this particular time has to be looked at as the providential hand of God, the, the, the work of God. You see, her being there would be likely to make the king a little more friendly, a little more merciful, like women usually are in these kinds of situations. And I remember one time, and when I was in high school, I wanted to go to the beach with the, with the upper class guys. They asked some of us to go to the beach, and oh man, I wanted to go so bad, but I had a really bad toothache. And, uh, but, I, but I still wanted to go. And, and my dad said no. And mom was there, and she went, you know that look? 
okay, you can go, you know. But if she hadn't been there, he probably wouldn't have let me go. And that's probably what's happening with the queen here. She made him probably a little more sensitive, a little more easygoing. And she probably gave him that nod like, hey, you know what? Be cool. So, you know, in, in this sense. And so we see God's hand in the arranging all of this. Nehemiah, you see, he needed a kind answer for the things that he was going to ask. Because this was a tough thing to ask. So God made sure that the queen would be there to help the king's attitude to go in Nehemiah's favor. We can always trust God to work things out in our circumstances in order to carry out his promises. God can put the right people in the right places at the right times. God can put all of the right people in the right places in the right place to make sure that his will will be done through their lives. Another encouraging lesson here teaches us is that opportunity comes in any situation, even the everyday ones, the routine things of life. This is just a simple meal with the king. It was something that takes place every day. But it was so valuable because, you see, it opened the door for Nehemiah. And we have to remember not to get discouraged and bored with the everyday things of life. Because those everyday things of life can be just as full of opportunities for serving God as being, as being seen in public or in the limelight. The thing is, is we need to be ready in every situation, as the word says, in season and out of season. We need to be, we, we need to be looking for a chance to serve God in every situation. And you never know what great opportunities God, is gonna, God has waiting for you in your different situations in life. Look at verse 2 now. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I, Nehemiah, became dreadfully afraid. Now, what this says here is that Nehemiah did a big no-no in front of the king. He served the king his wine, but he served the king with a sad face. Nehemiah had never done this before. And that's why the king asked Nehemiah, Hey, Nehemiah, why are you sad? You're not sick. But Nehemiah's sadness was from the Lord. It's perfect timing opened the door for Nehemiah to ask to go to Jerusalem. Now, in man's eyes, this would be a negative thing. But you see, when we're dedicated to serving God like Nehemiah was, God often turns the negatives into positives. Nehemiah showed his sadness for his people, his sadness for God's work, how sad he was uh, because of the conditions in Jerusalem. He showed on his face how much he wanted to fix those things. He was really bummed out about what was happening. And you see, he proved it by the fact that he was sad in front of the king. But this was a very dangerous thing to do. You see, you were never to go into the presence of the king looking sad and bummed out. He could have been demoted or he could have been put to death. We see another example in Esther 4, 1 and 2. It says, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. Now, sackcloth and ashes was a demonstration of being really grieving and mourning and bummed out over something. 
And it says, and he went out into the midst of the city. He cried with a loud voice and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. You could not go into the presence of the king all bummed out. But Nehemiah was so weighed down with sorrow, he couldn't hide it. It was written all over his face. And you see, what's in our heart is going to show on our face, whether it's good or evil. You know, what does our countenance, you know, when we're in the church and we're around people, what does our countenance say to people? What does it say about us? The second thing that Nehemiah's sadness shows us was how big his burden was for God's work and for fixing the problems in Jerusalem. It was too big for him to not show it all the time. And this kind of a burden is necessary if a person is going to serve God well. Alan Redpath said, It's only the man with a crushing sense of burden and responsibility that God can trust with his work. You see, if people had a real burden for others, a real burden, a real heavy heart for others and the work of God, there wouldn't be a lack of involvement when it came to God's work. There wouldn't be so much failure in God's work. Pastors and missionaries wouldn't be resigning so much and church members wouldn't be so quick to quit their ministries. Too many Christians let their personal burdens overcome their burden for the work of God. And the main reason for all of the work we do for the Lord is to see people saved. And I think we we, we don't really realize the underlying reason for what we do in the church. The classes, the Bible studies, it's not to keep you busy during the week. It's not for extracurricular activity. The bottom line is we're hoping that it will lead people to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose here. That's our goal, to see people get saved, to reach, to reach out to people, to save them from hell. And this is one reason why so many churches can't do what they would like to do for God. When you look at the number of the members in the church compared to the number of those who serve, you can see why. Jesus said it himself, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. But the king had a sharp eye. He not not only noticed Nehemiah's sad look, but he recognized what it was because he said, hey man, you're not sick, Nehemiah. What's the problem? What's bothering you? Because you see, in Nehemiah's situation as being the cupbearer, going into the the king looking sad and bummed out, uh, it it could be saying, oh man, I'm, 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 I'm poisoning the king or somebody's paid me to poison the king. It's, it's not a good situation to be in. And then what the king, you know, the, what, the, what would happen with the cupbearer, they'd pour a little bit out. Uh, somebody would taste it. And if, you know, if they didn't die, then the king would drink the rest of the cup. So that not only showed king in, keen insight by the king, but unexpectedly it showed a little bit of compassion by the king. It showed an unusual sympathy from a king that was not a common attitude by kings for their subjects. And again, probably because his his wife was sitting there. Too many times we have this problem. Our vision is so narrow that we see only our own problems and not, uh, not other people's. And I'll never forget this one time at Golden Springs. 
You know, at the end of the study, Pastor Raul would have us go back in the, back in the foyer and, and, and to pray for people. And he'd say, okay, if you need prayer, the pastors are back there and, and go back and, 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 you know, and get prayer. And I remember one young girl came up to me and she asked for prayer. And I said, what can we pray for? She says, she says I have cancer and I'm a single mom and I have a daughter and I don't know what's going to happen to her. She says, I'm surrounded by thousands of people and I feel so alone. Are we looking for those people? Because they're all around us. But are we being sensitive like this king who saw something was wrong with Nehemiah? There could be people grieving and with heartaches all around us. But we can't see it if we don't care enough to do something. Not caring will hurt us, but compassion for those in great trials can prove to be a great blessing to us in disguise. The king didn't hurt his kingdom by having compassion and helping Nehemiah. Nehemiah's compassion resulted in doing a great work in Jerusalem and becoming a great example and a famous man. Not that Nehemiah was seeking fame. Joseph's concern for the sadness of two prisoners opened the door for his promotion to being second in command of Egypt. Verse 3. So I became dreadfully afraid, and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? You see, Nehemiah had a good reason to be afraid for his sadness. Persian subjects were supposed to be happy in front of the king. Like I said, sadness was thought to be a reflection against the king. Nehemiah's gloominess could stop the rebuilding of the wall, so it's easy to see why Nehemiah was afraid. And his fear, Nehemiah's fear showed his, uh, showed his sadness was real because, you see, he was risking his life being sad in front of the king. Our sincerity or our lack of it in our character is often seen by everybody around us in the most interesting situations. Nehemiah used wisdom in defending his sadness when he said, how the king lived forever. And by Nehemiah saying this, he let the king know, king, I'm not upset with you, king. And then he gives the reason to the king why he's sad. He tells him in verse three, king, king, the city where my father's ancestors are, where they're buried, are buried in ruins. My father's ancestors are buried, uh, uh, or they're buried, they're lying in ruin, ruin, and the gates have been burned. They're burned down. This was a good reason to be sad. His mourning wasn't over something trivial. It wasn't over something that that wasn't important. This was a big deal. Verse 4. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Notice the wonderful hand of God at work here. Nehemiah needed the king's permission to go to Jerusalem. But it seemed like an impossible task, an impossible thing, because you see, Nehemiah had such an important job as the cupbearer. And to ask for leave of absence was usually considered to be an insult to the king, just like his sadness was. 
But notice how the king made it easy for, for Nehemiah to ask to leave because it was the king who asked him the question. He didn't have to ask. At first, Nehemiah was afraid to ask when he saw the king, when, when the king saw that he was sad. But now notice, Nehemiah could ask him boldly and joyfully for their permission to go to Jerusalem because the king asked Nehemiah there knows what do you request Nehemiah how can I help you Nehemiah it reminds us of the time that Jesus exhorts his disciples to ask and it will be given in Matthew 7 7 ask and it will be given James says you have not because you ask not and because he tells us to ask because Jesus tells us to ask, then we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So now, man, Nehemiah has to be all charged up. He has to be all excited now to ask. And he quickly takes advantage of the king's willingness, so he asks for his okay to go to Jerusalem. But notice something here. A couple of things before we look at the king's permission to go. From the time that King, that, that, that king Artaxerxes said, Nehemiah, what do you request? Before Nehemiah opened his mouth, in verse 1, it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. We don't know what he prayed for, but he clearly prayed for help, for courage, and for wisdom for what he was going to ask the king. He wisely asked the king of heaven, before he asked the king of Persia for the things that he needed. You see, we'll always do better asking things of men if we have first asked of God. Notice three things about his prayer. It was spontaneous. Right after the king says, what is your request? He prayed. It was spontaneous. It was on the spot. He does this throughout the book. Nehemiah could pray on the spot, at the moment, in any situation. And you can't do this unless you are in the habit of praying at set times. Men who haven't done a lot of praying at set times won't do much praying at special times either. The instant, spontaneous, on-the-spot prayer is the result of a heart that's already spent a lot of time with God in prayer. The second thing we notice about Nehemiah's prayer is it was short. You know, we think a lot of times that our prayer has to be long and drawn out for God to answer it. Prayers don't have to be long in order for them to be effective and to be powerful. Short yet effective prayers are found all through the Bible. How about Peter's prayer? Lord, save me. <laughs> Lord, save me. Two words. When he began to sink, sorry, three words. I wasn't a math major. <laughs> I went to BP. No, anyway. <laughs> Lord, save me. Short prayers are the best way to pray in public. Now, long prayers are the best way to pray in private. Sometimes, as we saw with the scribes and the Pharisees, long prayers are made for show in public. But you see, long prayers in your prayer closet are sincere prayers. There's nobody around but God to hear. In prayer meetings, some people would get upset because they don't get to pray as long as they want to. That is, pray out loud. 
But, well, here's the thing. People, like I said, will get upset because they don't get to pray out loud as long as they want to in prayer meetings. But think of it. While the other people are praying, they could be praying all that they want. It doesn't matter whether it's loud and out in front of people or it's quiet in your heart to the Lord. It's the same to God. It's still effective. It's still powerful as if they were praying out loud and as if it was long. The third thing that we notice about Nehemiah's prayer is that it was silent. And another thing, we don't have to pray out loud so that God can hear us. God has very good hearing. Praying out loud often helps our thoughts and our attention when we pray. But silent praying is just as powerful and effective. Praying just to be heard by men isn't pleasing to God. The phrases like, the, the Pharisees liked to pray long and they liked to pray loud when they were in the public. Why? So that all the people that was around them could see them, not really see them, but hear them as well as see them. Oh, look at those. Guys. Oh, listen to their long, long prayers. But we need to get God's attention more than anybody else's when we pray. He's the one that we want to hear us. And when the heart is right, a silent prayer gets God's attention just as much as when we pray out loud. And again, I, I love, we have that perfect example in 1 Samuel chapter 1 where, where Hannah was praying to God. Listen to what it says. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. So see, she was praying quietly in her heart to God. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. You want another good definition of prayer? What Hannah said right there, poured out my soul to the Lord. Nehemiah's prayer showed that he was well prepared to answer the king's question about how he could help him. In those four months, Nehemiah studied the problem well. He sought God in prayer earlier. And at the right moment when the king asked, he was able to tell him exactly what he needed. He was ready to make a very wise request when the king asked him. You see, that's what the waiting period helped Nehemiah to do. It helped him to prepare adequately for his, to, to answer the prayer. So here we learn that he used the waiting period wisely to do just that. How many times, you know, when, when we're, you know, we want something and we're asking for something and they say, well, what can I do for it? We, we start to stammer. And, well, uh, well I, I, you know, I, we don't know. We haven't prepared. We haven't studied the answer. Matthew Henry says this. People who pray but don't prepare for their answers aren't serious in their prayers. Our prayers must be seconded with our serious endeavors. Look at verse 5. Nehemiah says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah needed the king's permission to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. He needed the king's permission to get a leave of absence from his job and to pass through the other provinces to get to Jerusalem. Verses 6 through 7. 
Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. You see, Nehemiah needed supplies for the job. He needed the king's permission to get those things. So he asked for a letter of authorization to get lumber from the king's forest in Judah. Asking for this letter showed that Nehemiah had really thought this thing over. He even found out what the name of the keeper of the king's forest was in Israel. It was Asaph. Nehemiah did a very thorough and good job of assessing the problem. And knowing what he needed to get the job done. And when the king asked Nehemiah, what do you need? What do you want? He knew. This shows us how important it is to be thorough when doing God's work. A lot of the Lord's work sometimes falls really short and it has a lot of flaws because we don't take the time to pray first and to plan things out. We need to sit down first and count the cost and plan out what we're going to do with a lot of wisdom. Jesus says that, speaks about this in Luke 14, 28 through 32. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. All of Nehemiah's planning was a great success. And the king was pleased with Nehemiah's request and the king said yes to the things that Nehemiah asked for. But you see, God was working in the king's heart. As Solomon said in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Not only did the king give him the okay to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, he also appointed Nehemiah governor of the provinces of Judah. We see that in chapter 5, verse 14, which helped Nehemiah to do his work. And the king also provided all the supplies for Nehemiah, as well as gave Nehemiah a leave of absence, and he let Nehemiah set the amount of time he'd be gone. I mean, that's God. And you know what? Nehemiah was gone for 12 years. What job do you know would give you a leave of absence for 12 years? That was his first day in Jerusalem, according to uh, Nehemiah 5.14. Then he came back for a short while and he went back again. According to chapter 13, verse 6. The king even gave Nehemiah an escort. (laughs) that he didn't even ask for, which proves the fact that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So why was Nehemiah so successful? Well, first of all, success is not an accident. It's not a stroke of good luck, as some people would say. People who are successful will have the same qualities as Nehemiah. 
Yes, without a doubt, God worked in a mighty way in the king's heart to help Nehemiah, to give Nehemiah his request of things that he asked for, but never overlooked the fact that Nehemiah served the king, notice, with perfect character and faithfulness, which would give the king plenty of reasons to be kind to him and give him what he asked for. He was a good employee. And if you want to find favor with your boss, it may not guarantee it, but for the most part, if you are a good employee and you have found favor in his eyes, you will get the request when you need it. God didn't have to work in a heart that was friendly towards Nehemiah. Nehemiah found favor with the king because of what the king saw in Nehemiah. He liked what he saw in the person of Nehemiah. J.D. Smith says the countenance is often a true index to the mind. Is your countenance sad or does it shine with the joy of the Lord telling the true tale of your life and lot? Psalm 100 verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Too many serve the Lord with complaining and sadness. It says, come before his presence with singing, not moaning and groaning. Show people that we serve a wonderful master. Charles Spurgeon said, if joy was more general among God's people, God would be more glorified among men. The happiness of the subjects is the honor of the sovereign. Show the world that we serve a wonderful master. How much more God would be honored if God's people were more joyous. We should recommend the gospel by see through honesty, transparency, by cheerfulness and unselfishness. If we think is God going to work, if God is, if we think God is going to work mightily for us, even though we lack diligence and, and dedication and faithfulness and other important qualities of character, we better think twice. If you don't do a good job at work, don't expect your boss to look at you favorably when you make a special request or when you get your yearly review. Then don't expect God to work mightily in the boss's heart to give you your request. Then we see the recognition for Nehemiah's success in verse 8. Notice what he says in verse 8. According to the good hand of the Lord God, my God, upon me. Look at According to the good hand of, of God upon me. Nehemiah was careful to give God thanks and recognition. In closing, Nehemiah realized that God was behind all the blessings that he was getting from the king. You see, the king was only an instrument used in the hand of God. You see, it's like the physician who uses the scalpel. You know, you, you, don't, you don't praise the instrument. You praise the one using the instrument. So we praise God because everything else is an instrument in the hand of God. Nehemiah would properly thank the king. But here the scripture shows his gratitude to God who made all of these things possible for him. And a lot of times this is where we fail. In thanking God 
We pray, we ask God, he answers our prayer, and then we go about our business rather than going back to our prayer closet and saying, thank you, God, for answering my prayer. Even those who have received answers to their prayers don't, like I said, always acknowledge him. And many times we ask of God a lot more than we thank him. If we can't see God's hand at work, that means we're in a sad spiritual condition because he's always at work in our lives. To shut our eyes and to refuse to see it is, is the same as being an unbeliever. G. Wood said this, to see and not acknowledge him in the right way is at least to be guilty of ungodliness, ingratitude, and weakness. Matthew Henry said, Gracious souls take notice of God's hand, his good hand in all events, which turn in favor of them. We need to be as sincere in thanking God as we are in making those requests to God. Father, thank you so much for this awesome book, Lord, this awesome message here that you have for us, God. Lord, help us to be men and women of prayer, Lord, and help us to do it well. God, help us to see the things that we've learned if I, uh, from Nehemiah, Lord, from the things that we'll learn in the prayer life of Jesus, God. Lord, help us to, again, Lord, just know how to pray. As Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. The great resource that God has given us for victory over temptation and trials, for those difficulties in life. And yet we don't use it. We seem to depend upon more in the arm of the flesh than the hand of God. And if we're not getting those blessings, the promises of God, first of all, we must know Him. We must know Him as Lord and Savior. And we must be one of His children. That's first and foremost. And then he said, all that the Father has is mine. And he gives it to us. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you wonder why you pray and you don't get any answers. That's a for sure thing if you're not a child of God. The psalmist said that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And God doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked. He hears the prayers of the saints. The worship team's going to lead us in a song of worship right now. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, and you want to receive him as your Lord and your Savior, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front, I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll say together a simple prayer of faith.